Sanford and Utah square off on Saturday evening. Folks, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be sexy football. It's going to be truth-telling football at its basic core. We're going to learn a lot about both of these squads here on Saturday evening. And that's what we're going to try to dive into on this edition of the Dreamcast. It is Thursday, October 4th, 2018, and we are getting ready as Stanford finally returns home after three weeks. Hey, the students finally able to watch a football game live and in person at Stanford Stadium. The Cardinal hosting the Utah Utes on Saturday evening. And we're breaking it down here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, starring me. Hey, Troy Clarity. Hey, thanks for checking us out uh, on the program Really looking forward to catching up with our special guest on this week's, uh, not this week, we do these generally twice a week anyway, but on, on this latest show, <laughs> special guest, uh, you see him all the time on ESPN calling college football games all across the country, and he has a home game this week. Stanford alum and the one and only. Rod Gilmore from ESPN. We'll get his thoughts as he breaks things down, as only he can, from a Stanford and Utah perspective. And I also want to get a couple of his other uh, quick knee-jerk thoughts uh, around the Pac-12 as well. So, uh, Rod Gilmore coming up uh, from ESPN in a few minutes here on the TreeCast. A couple quick reminders. Number one, you can follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. At Troy Clarity is the way to go. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Always appreciate the follows. Uh, like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash TV. But, of course, the big thing you can do, if you haven't already, is to subscribe, rate, and review this show via Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Um, I always appreciate uh, those who are in the TreeCast family. Certainly appreciate uh, those of you who have uh, jumped on board uh, throughout the course of this season. I certainly also uh, thank those of you who have uh, taken some brief time out uh, to rate and review the show. So subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I promise you, if this isn't the best Stanford football podcast out there, you'll get your money back. Wait, this this podcast is free? Oh. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know. Hey, I tried. I tried. <laughs> Uh, Stanford versus Utah, Saturday evening at Stanford Stadium. Cardinal trying to rebound from its results at South Bend last week, in which things just avalanched on them in the fourth quarter. Nothing went right in the final 15 minutes, and Stanford staggered out of South Bend uh, with a 21-point loss to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So now Stanford comes back home, and now Stanford heads into a new month. And now they head into Pac-12 play for the remainder of the season. And Stanford and Utah, two teams that approach things quite similarly in a lot of different ways from a philosophical standpoint, from the things they try to do uh, on the football field. They try to be tough. They try to be physical. uh, They try to knock you around a little bit. They try to corner you. And they try to get into a street fight. They try to do all the fundamental things right. And, for the most part, it's resulted in winning football. Stanford, obviously, you can't argue with the results, with most of the results it's put up uh, in the David Shaw era. Meanwhile, Utah, which has done some good things over the years with Kyle Whittingham, um, Utah, by the way, they've lost eight of their last ten conference games, by the way. 
I, I, that, that really surprised me to see that. So Utah needs to get on the good foot here pretty quickly. Maybe some uh, – and, and they're, they're, they're coming off of a couple of, of just, just brutal losses just from an emotional standpoint. Just got beat up by Washington a couple weeks ago at home and also shot themselves in the foot numerous times against the Huskies. And then last week, just could not contain Washington State. Looked like it was going to be a shootout in the first half, calmed down in the second half, and then Gardner Minshew finds Aesop Winston for an 89-yard touchdown that decided it with inside five minutes to go, and Utah could not get the the game-tying equalizing score uh, on the board before time expired. So a a couple of tough losses for Utah as they head to the farm. So they're going to be trying to prove a lot of things. But among the similarities between Stanford and Utah, I think is another one. Something else that both of these programs emphasize and do do quite well in, for the most part, yet largely gets overlooked in the grand scheme of things, not just for this week, but, but really in football, period, for the most part. Special teams. Special teams. Utah's been so good on special teams over the past few years. They have been incredible. Stanford, no slouches either. Specifically, the punting game. Now, granted, hopefully we don't see a lot of Jake Bailey from the Stanford perspective. Hopefully we don't see him trotting out there a whole lot on Saturday evening against Utah. But if he does... He is going to be a key cog and a key weapon in what promises to be a game dictated by field position and defense in all likelihood. Jake Bailey off to a fantastic start this year. Nine punts inside his opponent's 20-yard line so far this year. Eight punts of 50 yards or more. But don't just put all the all the accolades on Jake Bailey. Uh, the, the, the guys who run down and cover the punts, they've, they've done pretty well for the most part, too. It would have been nice if they had downed that punt at the Notre Dame one-yard line late in the second quarter instead of it just falling into the end zone for a touchback, and Notre Dame was able to turn that into a 75-yard touchdown drive right before the half and gave the Irish a lead that, as it turned out, they would not relinquish. The ball skittering just off Ryan Beecher. I think he was the last one to touch it. But not just the coverage team, but punting overall, specifically from Jake Bailey, uh, has, has, been, has been an overlooked, as usual, bright spot for Stanford so far this year. But don't forget about Utah. They have been extremely prolific in the punting game over the past few years themselves. Mitch Wisnowski off to a good start, too. He also, like Jake Bailey, has nine punts inside his opponent's 20-yard line so far this season. No touchbacks for Wisnowski. And by the way, uh, last week against Washington State, he dropped three punts inside the Cougs ten, at or inside the Cougs' 10-yard line. At the 10, at the 10, and at the 7. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. The punting game and whomever executes it and whoever is able to put the opposing team in, 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 in less advantageous field position, could very well have the upper hand on Saturday night. Now, also, I'm, I'm not forgetting the kicking the kick return game, I should say, here either. 
I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned about the kickers here uh, because, well, they're both pretty good there too. But the kick return game is something that Stanford was able to do quite well last year. Cameron Scarlett became one of the better, better kick returners in the country last season. But we haven't seen that at all so far this year. Matter of fact, Stanford 10th in the Pac-12 in kick returns. And much like the punting game isn't just all on the punter, the kick return game isn't all on the returner. He hasn't had a whole lot to work with up front, Cameron Scarlett, for the most part. And Bryce Love, whenever he's gone back there. We still don't know if he's going to be able to go, by the way, as, as I say this. We still don't know what Bryce Love's true availability will be against the Utes on Saturday. We probably won't until, until pregame warm-ups. And even, might, even then, we might not know until the kickoff on Saturday night. But they've stuck Bryce Love back there on kickoffs a time or two as well. Something that I have very lukewarm feelings about. But... Can Stanford spring a kick return? They have not been able to for the most part this year, mostly because Cameron Scarlett just hasn't had the holes. He hasn't been able to get the blocking up front. David Shaw talked about this on occasion so far this season. They just have not gotten it done in front of Scarlett to be able to spring him for big gains and to give Stanford good field position after kickoffs. They just haven't gotten it. Can Stanford spring one on Saturday night? That would be nice. That would be real nice. Oh, by the way, Utah in kick returns in the Pac-12, dead last. Dead last. So can anyone spring a kick return <laughs> of any consequence on, on Saturday night? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, uh, among the obvious keys to this game, centering around Bryce Love, centering on the pass protection for Stanford, uh, centering around any sort of offensive continuity for Utah. That's been a real problem for them. And any big playability uh, def- offensively for Utah as well. Besides those obvious keys this Saturday, don't overlook the importance of special teams, especially the punting game. Don't overlook it. Don't overlook it, because it could promise to be quite large as we go throughout this game on Saturday evening. A guy who will be in the Stanford Stadium press box, one level above me. He'll be on the fourth floor. I'll be on the third floor of the Stanford Stadium press box. But he will be in the TV booth with Adam Amin on the play-by-play and Quint Kesnich on the sidelines. On the color analysis for ESPN's national broadcast of Stanford versus Utah is a guy who I'm sure many Stanford fans know quite well, played for the Cardinal back in the day and has been calling ESPN college football games for years and does a fantastic job at it. Oh, by the way, he's a good dude, and if you're trusting him to pick a good lunch spot in Palo Alto, uh, he, he, knows, he knows the spots. <laughs> he knows where to go. A pleasure to welcome in to this week's TreeCast our special guest, Rod Gilmore. Rod, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Troy. You bet. A pleasure to have you in here. And, uh, you know, let, let, let's start here. There, there are a couple of different ways that you might be able to look at what Stanford has done so far this season. Uh, the glass half full says that they're 4-1. and one. They've gone through the toughest part of their schedule uh, relatively unscathed from a wins-loss standpoint, maybe not so much from an injury standpoint, but they're still in position to do a lot of the things that they want to do in Pac-12 play and maybe stay on the fringe of playoff contention. But glass half empty, maybe some ominous signs looming in the disc 
instance, offensive line taking a step back. And, of course, we're all on Bryce Love ankle watch once again. When you look at things overall and, and, and where Stanford uh, stands entering this week, uh, what sort of things pop out at you as far as how things have gone for the season so far for the Cardinals? Well, I think they should be pleased with uh, getting through September with a 4-1 and record. That could easily have been a 3-2 and record. Uh, that was a tough schedule to start with. And I know folks have been disappointed because of the way the Notre, Notre Dame game ended. But, um, you know, getting through September 5-0 and was going to be very challenging. And you could flip the Oregon-Notre Dame games, you know, and trade them. And I think you'd feel like, well, for Stanford, better off to have beaten Oregon than, you know, Notre Dame. Sure. <laughs> you, you get the conference win. You get a non-conference loss. It uh, doesn't hurt you in your race. Um, you know, you're still, you're still where you need to be. So if Stanford, Stanford were to win out the rest of the way, uh, they'd be in consideration for the playoff. If they drop one the rest of the way, uh, they're probably still in the hunt for the conference championship and, you know, possibly a Rose Bowl. And if Stanford's playing for a Rose Bowl, I am never, never, ever mad at that. Uh, who should be, yeah. Exactly, exactly. exactly. As mentioned, we're all on Bryce Love ankle watch once again. Left the game early in the fourth quarter, did not return, had his uh, ankle landed on. Uh, as we speak right now, Love is day-to-day. David Shaw said that the ankle not as severe as it was last year. Uh, still, though, assuming that Bryce Love is at the very best limited and potentially at worst out for this Saturday's game against Utah, in your mind, from an offensive standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, what sort of things change for Stanford when Bryce Love isn't in there? Well, I, a lot changes. You're, you're facing a, a Utah team that is very, very good against the run, particularly the run um, in between the tackles. Uh, they seem to have struggled at times with teams that can get to the perimeter. And given Bryce's speed and his ability to run through arm tackles and to get to the edge, uh, not having Bryce out there would, would be a huge uh, loss for Stanford. Um, you would start having to try to figure out how else do you get to the perimeter on that team? Um, is it uh, more with uh, getting the ball outside to receivers? Or, you know, you, you still don't have Weddington back, and he was fantastic with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is St. Is Brown the guy that becomes – um, a threat out there for you and some short things and reverses and, you know, how do you get outside? That becomes the, the issue because I think it would be a tougher thing if you are just simply going to line up with them and with Bryce out, you're going to slam, you know, Cameron Scarlett and Trevor Spates in, in, inside against them. That, that's a tough deal. They've got a couple of 300-pounders that sit in the middle uh, in their four-man defense, and it's uh, it's tough to move them. So I think that would be a challenge. But that's, you know, um, that's sort of the thing. Um, you, you have to wait and see. It probably turns Stanford into a little bit more of a passing team against Utah in that sense. Um, I think they match up pretty well uh, against uh, the secondary for Utah. Uh, Utah can be fairly aggressive, and after seeing the way that Notre Dame got to um, uh, Costello um, in that game. I'm sure they're feeling that they've got some pressures that will help them get there, and they have, you know, a pretty good pass rusher in their own right over there uh, that they think is pretty good. Ane, number six. I don't know if you've seen him play yet, but um, uh, he's about a 250 pounder, and and they they flip him to wherever they feel he can get the most pressure. Uh, the best matchup. If it's against the left tackle, they'll leave him over there on the right side. If it's not, they'll move him to the other side. 
Interesting. And I was I was going to ask you that. I mean, is is the fact that you know if, if Stanford becomes a bit more one dimensional in the pass game uh, than we're normally used to seeing, is that necessarily a bad thing? Given some of the things that 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 we've seen Stanford do in the passing category in the passing attack with KJ Costello and Arcega Whiteside and Irwin and Caden Smith and Kobe Parkinson, or does it put even more pressure on an offensive tackle position with with Walker Little and At Hall, two guys that are aren't healthy it seems and and have, and have struggled a little bit at times throughout the course of the season. Well, I, I think it, it also puts more pressure on your defense. Um, I don't know that David Shaw really wants to get away from his, his core philosophy. He, he likes having a ball control offense um, that uses up some clock and keeps his defense off the field. And the fewer plays you play defensively, uh, the more effective you get to be. So when you eliminate that uh, kind of approach and you start throwing it around a bit more, uh, it's pretty easy to get some three and outs. You know, you miss that first down pass or the second down pass, and all of a sudden you're in the third and long, and, you know, it, you're off the field. And so now you're asking your defense to do a lot more. Yes, so that becomes an issue, and you're absolutely right. On the offensive side, uh, if you become that one-dimensional and you're throwing it more, you're putting a lot more pressure on your pass protection. And I, I just don't see, even if, if Bryce Love can't go, I, I don't see uh, David Shaw departing from his philosophy, particularly after Stanford didn't run the ball very well against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I would expect there would be a bigger commitment to trying, trying to run it against Utah. Uh, the notion that Stanford would go uh, two weeks in a row uh, without running the ball and consciously giving up the notion of trying to be physical and run the football – I just don't think that's in in David Shaw's DNA right now. As an old cornerback yourself, when you look at J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, A, what do you see in him? And B, how would you have tried to to have defended him? I am so glad I didn't have to deal with anybody (laughs) like him. (laughs) They they grow a little bigger (laughs) these days, it seems. Yeah, they, they they are different. I mean... You know, you could be a, a five nine, five eight cornerback back in the day, and you matched up, uh, you know, against a JoJo Townsell at UCLA, and and guys who were quick and could go either way, uh, change direction on you and whatnot. Uh, but these guys who are six three and six four, and they just came off the basketball court, <laughs> that that's a problem. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think what what teams are finding is that you really don't want to leave um, a, a corner even in the red zone, if you can avoid it, you want to get some help over there. And they're trying to get a safety over there. But Stanford's done a really good job of using the hash, uh, getting on the correct side of the field, uh, isolating guys, getting wide, wide splits so that, you know, that safety has a problem to go over and declare and to help uh, in matching up with um, uh, with J.J. on the outside. So you can't really double them down there. And the moment that safety does make that move and does get over there, there's something else that kind of opens up. Usually it's, you know, Caden Smith in, in the middle. So, <laughs> so it's, it, it's a problem. Um, there's no easy solution. I mean, there's some things that just don't work. And yeah, I think you may recall one of, um, uh, one of the touchdowns last week. It, it looked like a basketball play. There was a throw into the post to JJR, JJ, as he just posted up one of the corners. Um, that's tough. <laughs> and it's hard to defend. So um, I, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, the, the best thing you do is you, you, you try to double him. You put a guy in his face on the line of scrimmage. You have a guy over the top. 
but again, you can do that, but you're giving away something else somewhere else. Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, he doesn't just catch jump balls. He's shown some uh, propensity for, for running some fantastic routes throughout the course uh, of, of the season, specifically a couple that he ran against Oregon that were just absolute clinics as he was able to get free and make some uh, big catches and big gains. He's but, a talented player. Yes, he certainly is. Uh, let's go over to the Stanford defensive side of the ball here. From, from your perspective, as, as, as mentioned, as an old defensive back yourself, it, it always amazes me that this Stanford defensive back unit not only has talent, but also has depth. It, it seems like throughout the course of the history of this program, sometimes it had one, sometimes it had the other, but it never had both. That kind of seems to have been yeah. the case over the last couple of years. Uh, wh- what's your assessment overall of the Stanford uh, secondary and the things that it can do when it plays at its best? Phenomenal. I mean, the change back there is is crazy. You know, and Dwayne Aquina deserves a lot of credit for what he's done, the type of types of guys that he's uh, recruited. This is a this is a longer, uh, faster, um, more athletic uh, secondary than you know I've seen in quite a while. And you know, you can go back to the Richard Sherman days, and and you know, Richard came over from wide receiver, um, but you just don't find. Um, errors where you've had this many guys that you can stick back there and have play. Now, I'm the, the one thing that concerns me right now is having Ben Edwards out at the safety spot. Um, I think Ben is an excellent uh, run tackler. He's excellent open field tackling, and I think that has showed up uh, the last couple of games against Oregon, against Notre Dame. I think there were some runs that uh, wound up in the end zone that had Ben been back there probably would not have happened. Hmm. Um, but he's out, and you know he's not back this week. Don't know when he'll be back. Um, but um, you know the corner play in particular has been phenomenal. You know whether whether you look at um, you know Holder on one side um, or Dable on the other side, or you know Murphy. I mean th- these guys have played really really well. And the matchup with Utah is interesting because I, I think. The Stanford secondary has a real advantage in that matchup with the receivers from Utah, and I'm curious to see how Stanford will play this. Um, I, I think they have the ability to say our guys are good enough to shut them down man-to-man, and we can add another guy into the box to stop their run. Um, we can throw uh, more guys into coverage at this quarterback uh, Hundley in, in particular situations and see if he can actually throw into an eight-man drop you know, or a seven-man drop. They, they've got a lot of choices this week, and I think it's because uh, they are stronger in the secondary than Utah is at wide receiver. It, it's amazing to think about the evolution of uh, the Stanford secondary and just how it's become one of the cornerstones uh, of, of the entire program overall. Uh, Utah, for, from from a talent standpoint, they've got some players. They've they, they've they've got a very hard nosed uh, mentality. Uh, they emphasize defense and they emphasize special teams as well. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. a lot of college programs uh, do that these days. And they've got some players that you enjoy watching. Britton Covey. Granted, I have no idea how he survived that Washington team. I haven't seen a guy get beat up like that on a college game in, in quite a while. But but Utah, maybe to this point, perhaps a bit disappointing in some respects. When you, when you look at the Utes overall, what are some things that, that jump out at you? Well, I, I think they are disappointed themselves. I, I don't think they expected a 2-2 two and two start. Um, I think they expected to be at least 1-1. One one. 
uh, in conference play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks thought this would be the year that they could make a run at the uh, at the championship in the South. Um, and remember, they're the only team in the South that has not won that division. So there's some additional heat uh, on Utah to kind of get things turned around. This is a, a huge game for them. Um, I, I don't think they have settled on an offensive identity yet. I think they're still trying to figure that out. Um, it seems to me that the, the, the focal point is Zach Moss, their running back, um, I think he got the ball 30 times against Washington State, and I think he felt like that wasn't enough. Um, so I think uh, I think ultimately where we will see them go, <clears throat> excuse me, is is to being a a running back, quarterback run game oriented team. The intermediate passing game is is not as fully developed as they need it to be. So their passing attack tends to be more off of the the RPO run pass option, uh, you know, quick slants, uh, hitch screens and the like, which they do pretty darn well. So, you know, I, I, I think you'll, you'll, you'll find Stanford trying to overplay those types of things and sort of daring them to be, uh, get into the pocket, drop back pass and try and complete passes um, in the intermediate range or deep down the field. Those, those tend to be, tougher issues for them right now. They haven't grown in the passing attack down the field. Um, so for my money, I'm saying it's based on Zach Moss and it's based on Hundley uh, at quarterback using his legs. Hmm. A couple last questions for Rod Gilmore from ESPN. He will be on the call Saturday night for Stanford versus Utah, 7.30 p.m. kick at Stanford Stadium. Uh, another, Pac-10, another Pac-12 matchup for you. You called um, uh, USC-Arizona uh, recently as well. What do you make overall of how things have shaken out so far as we enter October and as we get into the true meat of conference play? Your thoughts overall, overall on some things we've seen in the Pac-12? Well, I, I think the Pac-12, um, if you want to talk nationally first, uh, where does the Pac-12 sit in terms of, of a playoff uh, spot? Well, clearly Washington and Stanford are the only real possibilities. I, I, I don't include Oregon because I think the committee will not be too pleased with Oregon's non-conference schedule. Yeah. So for the, for the sake of the conference, either Washington or Stanford has to win the conference and wind up with one loss. We we know one thing from the committee. Right now, the 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 third rail is two losses. We've not had any team, despite how well they may have played, uh, with two losses get into the playoff. So Stanford's showdown with Washington in November is going to be huge. I think Washington's game with Oregon will be huge. A two-loss Pac-12 team will not get in. Uh, there are two barriers out there for the Pac-12 right now, assuming things continue the way they have been. Notre Dame's win over Stanford mm -hmm. and Auburn's win over Washington. Those are two uh, good losses, if you will. But if Notre Dame wins out or is an 11-1 team, Notre Dame may block Stanford from getting in. And Auburn, if they don't win the SEC, could wind up being you know, a 10-win team that is right behind Alabama. And that may block Washington from getting in. <laughs> if, if, uh, if you're looking at a Georgia and Alabama and you say – Auburn is the third best team or fourth best team in the SEC, and the Pac-12 champ is Washington, and they couldn't beat them. Mm -hmm. That's not going to get Washington in. So th that's the big issue nationally. Uh, I think in the south um, of the Pac-12, something just says to me that USC is going to wind up on a roll and, and win the south. Yeah, yeah. I, 
it, it just looks and feels that way. They're starting to get a little bit healthier. Um, JT Daniels is starting to get a little bit more comfortable at quarterback. They're starting to get their passing game together. They still don't run the ball well enough. Their offensive line play is getting a little bit better. And if it gets really good, um, I don't see them losing two games in the South. They may lose one more, but I think two losses in the South is enough to win that division. And I don't see anybody else right now that looks strong enough. Uh, I'm not sold yet on Colorado. And Arizona is a ways off uh, until they get Khalil Tate healthy. I don't think they really have a chance to to win it. UCLA is out the door right now. Um, So you start looking at, is Arizona State really the threat for USC? And they play in a couple of weeks. That's probably the the ultimate matchup as to who can win the South. But if I were a betting man right now, I'd be betting on USC coming out of the South. Yeah, yeah, it certainly seems to be uh, shaking out that way in the South. And, oh, by the way, Oregon versus Washington uh, coming up next Saturday. And, of course, Stanford heads up to Seattle uh, on November the 3rd. A quick Oregon question. Justin Herbert, very impressive so far this year. And already I- I'm seeing the comparisons between him and John Elway. You played for those Elway teams uh, that, uh, that that uh, Stanford it, back in the it, early eighties. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank stop you. Stop it. He's a good player. He's going to be a great player. He'll probably be a fantastic pro. But I've never seen anybody like John Elway. <laughs> thank you. I, I just wanted that, that said out no, there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, look, and and John wasn't six six. So I know a lot of people get carried away by seeing, you know, the, all that all that hype. But um, the success rate in the NFL for quarterbacks over 6'4 has not been that great over the years. Uh, not to say that Justin Herbert won't be, but when it comes to um, you know, spectacular plays, athleticism, in my view, John, John Elway was more athletic than Herbert. Um, I haven't been up close and personal. I haven't heard the ball whiz by my head from <laughs> Herbert. I did have that with Elway, and I've I've seen and heard it from a number of other quarterbacks, and I've never heard that sound anywhere else. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going with Elway unless uh, until one of these days somebody that's uh, a really special put together robot is better. And, and, and oh, by the way, anyone can look as accurate as Herbert has for the much, for much of this season when he hasn't really faced that much of a pass rush, and no one has really gotten that much pressure on him, it seems, uh, throughout much of the year. As, as we wrap this up, Rod, you've got the call, as mentioned, Stanford, Utah, this Saturday evening. What's one thing you're going to be watching above all else as this game and as this chess match between two of the better coaches, the, the, the two longest head, uh, tenured head coaches in Pac-12 football, score off against each other? Well, you, you can't go into this game without uh, being – Curious, interested, worried, you pick uh, the adjective that you want to use uh, about Bryce Love. You know, um, what's, what's he have? What can he bring? This is another opportunity for him to be back on the national stage, and how healthy is he? Will he play? Um, and then the other thing is, you know, K.J. Costello is really starting to make a name for himself, and every appearance he has nationally um, get some more exposure where people recognize that he has become an elite quarterback. Um, the other thing that uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing is really kind of what the line play is between the strong defensive line mm-hmm. uh, from, uh, from Utah and what Stanford has with their offensive line. This was intended to be a really good year for Stanford's offensive line. It hasn't played at that level. And rest assured, they will be tested. 
by Utah. They've got uh, some serious players up front. Like I said, you know, two big run stoppers in the middle that combine for more than 600 pounds and a couple of pass rushers on the edge, and they are not afraid to bring pressure. So um, it, it'll be a good matchup. But that would be the order of things that I'm looking at. How's Bryce Love? Is he healthy? Can he do his thing? Uh, does Costello make another impact on the big stage? Uh, and then really kind of what that defensive uh, front for Utah uh, brings against Stanford's offensive line, and is it going to be similar to Notre Dame, or does the Stanford offensive line gel a little bit more? Hmm. I asked for one, he gives me three. That's the kind of guy <laughs> that Rod Gilmore I'm is. generous that way. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't make it out to Stanford Stadium, or even if you can, set your DVR, ESPN, 7.30 p.m., Adam Amin on play-by-play, Quint Kesnick on the sidelines, and my man Rod Gilmore in the booth cheering up and uh, serving up his superb and stellar analysis. Rod, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Always appreciate uh, uh, spending some time with you. I'm looking forward to bumping Indy at the stadium on Saturday. Uh, have a great call and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. Troy, thanks for having me, and I, uh, I'll catch you on Saturday, pal. That's good stuff uh, from a good dude, Rod Gilmore. Certainly appreciate him uh, taking some time to uh, spend it with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Rod Gilmore. Cannot wait uh, to spend uh, a little time with him in person uh, at the uh, press box at Stanford on Saturday evening. It should be an interesting game. And when I look at how this game sets up, and when I look at how things seem to be trending for each of these respective teams uh, and entering this week's game, I hope history does not repeat itself. Specifically, the game that we saw between these two teams four years ago. I I hate to do this, but let me take you back to mid-November 2014. Stanford versus Utah at Stanford Stadium. Score at the end of regulation, Utah 7, Stanford 7. I I said at the start of the show that Stanford-Utah is is not going to be pretty football. It generally isn't. This was not pretty football. Utah ended up winning that game 20-17 to in overtime. One of the most uh, – if, if there was a low point in the David Shaw era, all things being relative, because if you've been around Stanford football for more than, more than 11 years, you know, you know what low points for this program truly are. But if there is a low point for Stanford football during the David Shaw era, that game was it. That game was probably it. Along with the game at Northwestern the next year. Yeah, both neither of those were particularly particularly scintillating, but I think you get I think you get what I'm saying here. And Utah was able to win that game basically with just two guys. Their pass rusher, Nate Orchard, single-handedly blew Stanford up that day. Ten tackles, three and a half sacks, forced a fumble. And their punter, Tom Hackett, who you know, averaged just under 45 yards a kick and had a long of 54, but he put six punts inside Stanford's 20-yard line. Tom Hackett was brilliant, absolutely brilliant that day. I have never seen a punter take over a game like Tom Hackett did that afternoon. And that special teams, that, that see, that that's where I get that special teams uh, you know, the, 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 the long line of special teams excellence that Kyle Whittingham has been able to establish because he emphasizes it so much at Utah. Tom Hackett's one of the best punters I've ever seen on the collegiate level. He was incredible. And he, 
along with Nate Orchard, almost single-handedly tag-teamed Utah to a 2017 win over the Cardinal that day. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just can't get that game out of my head when I'm thinking about this week. Now, I think Stanford will win. I, I will say this, because I think Stanford overall is a better team than Utah at this point. But some of the weaknesses that Stanford might have at this point, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, with an offensive line that suddenly has taken steps back in pass protection, and the, a questionable source of a running game right now, those things could very well play into Utah's favor. So I, I, I hope that these flashbacks that I keep having to that game four years ago are, are me, just, me, just, me just freaking out and me just worrying too much, as I, as I tend to do sometimes when it comes to Stanford football and, uh, and, and, and overthinking things a bit. Hopefully that's the case. But we'll see. We'll see. Either way, once again, it will not be pretty. It will not be pretty. Just hopefully it's not as ugly as it was that day four years ago. That was not a good time at all. Thanks again to our special guest on the TreeCast, Rod Gilmore. I kind of hate to end the show on a downer. (laughs) Well, you know what? Stanford football can end the week on, on, on a true high by getting a win and getting back in the win column and getting off into the bye week. Uh, the best way possible by uh, by beating Utah and finding ways to do so, which again I think they can do, and I think they will do. But there's enough for Utah there to to certainly uh, give Stanford some major major problems throughout the course of this game on Saturday night. Anyway, thanks again to our guest ESPN's Rod Gilmore. We appreciate him for stopping by. Uh, don't forget, follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. I certainly appreciate that. And uh, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Because this is a home game, I will be in the Stanford locker room afterwards and chatting with players and, and, and getting sounds. So I will bring those interviews to you. Next TreeCast will likely come your way on Sunday afternoon. I do have Pac-12 Network soccer duties on Sunday morning. But once those are done, I'll sit down, put together the show, and uh, the next TreeCast should be coming your way on Sunday afternoon. The rest of the bye week posting schedule is anyone's guess. We'll we'll see how it is, and I'll keep you posted as we go along. Do not drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Have fun at the game. Enjoy it, even though I don't think it'll be very pretty. And we'll talk about it all over again on Sunday. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clary.